I'm going to preach today, and I'm pretty excited about that because it's been a minute. So uh, I want to start off, I want to start off this morning just by reading a short verse, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to preach about, and then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to, and then we're going to dive in, okay? So let's start with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Let me read that one more time. Let us run, somebody say run, Run. with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the next few weeks, I'm going to preach on the subject, check your pace. Check, check your pace. Let's take a moment, let's bow our heads, let's still our hearts and prepare for the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit here, even now. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We thank you that all good gifts come from you, and we thank you that as your children, we are opening our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. I pray that you would nourish us on, your, on, on the food of your word. And I pray that you would hydrate us on the fountain of your spirit. I pray, Lord God, that we would leave here strengthened and refreshed in you. We love you. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. In 2011, I ran my first and only marathon. My first and only. My wife, Rebecca, and I started training. She was running the half, and I was running the full. Now, neither of us are runners, but we, for some reason, which I'll still never understand, decided it would be a good idea to run a marathon. So we decided we're going to run the Nashville Marathon. We started training for the marathon. We trained every day. We trained through the winter. We ran in the snow. We got ready. Then we piled up the car, and we drove down to Nashville. I think we only had one child at that point. Two children at that point. Thank you. It's hard to keep track sometimes. So, so we left the kids with somebody, and we got in the car, and we drove to Nashville. So we're going down to Nashville, and let me just tell you, if you ever decide to run a marathon, let me give you a tip as somebody that's experienced, okay? At the starting line, you are full of adrenaline. You're full of excitement. You are full of enthusiasm at the starting line. And that's how I felt. And I even felt to myself, like, when this gun goes off, I've got a strategy. I'm going to bolt out of here. I'm going to get ahead of everybody so I'm not having to weave through all these people. I'm going to get out ahead of everybody, and then, then I'll be ahead. So that's what I did. So the gun went off. I'm so excited, man. I go taking off, and I'm running. And let me just tell you, for the first, let's say, four miles, five miles maybe, I was sailing. I mean, it was the strategy was working. I was hyped. I was ready to go. I'm flying. They had a, it was called a rock and roll marathon. They had a rock band at every mile. So, man, I'm singing the song. I'm just cruising past everybody. Hey! So having an amazing time. Flying, okay? Now, at about mile, let's say, seven, eight, nine, I started noticing that the hills seemed a little steeper than they were at the beginning of the race. Sun was a little hotter than I recalled at the beginning. And my legs started to feel a little heavier than they were at the beginning of the race. But, but I kept going. I slowed down a little bit, but I kept going. Then about mile, let's say, 12, 14, 
15, I started experiencing severe pain in my right leg. Runners will know this. It's called an IT band injury. It's like this, this band that goes up your leg. And it just, it's not like, it's not going to kill you, but it hurts really badly. So then I'm running and I'm kind of got a little gimp to like my run like that. So now I'm running and in a marathon, there's actually a medical tent. You can stop and you can get some medical attention. So I stopped and they give you a little packet of Tylenol, two little Tylenols in a little packet. And I was like, okay, thanks. You got anything stronger? No. You're going to have two times. And then they take down your bib number because you're not allowed to go back in the tent and get any more Tylenol at the next tent. You just get one little packet. So I break open my packet, I eat my packet, and then I'm back out running. Now, at about, let's say, mile 17 or 18, I hit what is known by runners as the wall. Hit the wall. You, when you hit the wall, that means your speed decreases significantly. That means you are what they call bonking. Somebody say bonking. Bonking is when you're like, man, I don't know what happened. I'm still here physically, but I don't know where my, my mind, my spirit is. I'm my soul. I don't know if I'm here. Am I in a different galaxy? Am I in a parallel universe? I don't know. And you're just, I started to gimp along. And let me just tell you, now my pace is very slow and people are speeding by me. And I'm talking about people that I just personally, in my own pride, felt like should not be speeding by me. <laughs> I mean, there are folks going by me that I'm like, uh-uh, no, that doesn't seem right. Just zipping on by, just zipping on by. Let me tell you this. I finished the race, but it wasn't pretty. By the time I got to the end of the race, I don't know if you've ever seen these people around town that are running with their upper body, but their lower legs are just shuffling. You know, where they're like, they're like this. That was me. I still, if you looked at me from waist up, it looked, oh, he's running. And then you look legs waist down. Now he's just shuffling along, right? In fact, I I made a scientific chart of my course, of my speed, and, and, and I got this co course for you if you want to put, this was, this was my, <clears throat> the graphics team wanted to make, I said, no, 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 let me show you, this is, this is how, how it was. Okay, you can turn that off. <laughs> it turns out that my experience is the same as many first-time marathoners. Many first-time marathoners make the mistake of coming out too fast. They come out too early. Some, some researchers did uh, looked at the data of over 400,000 runners in the Chicago Marathon. Let me show you some stats. Let me tell you what they found. They found that one in three Chicago Marathoners are fast starters. They call them fast starters. Fast starters are people uh, whose first leg of the race is also their fastest leg of the race. It's the, it's the group of people like me who started off fast, and then it just slowed down from there. These runners come in, on average an hour later than runners who start off slowly and gradually build. A full 50% of Chicago marathoners, uh, 50% of the people who hit the wall, 50% of the people who bonk, are, uh, and bonking, it means that your speed decreased by at least 33%. That's a, that's a big steep drop off. 50% uh, of them had run the first 5K as the fastest leg. In other words, Fast starts make slow finishes when it comes to the marathon. Fast starts make slow finishes. The Bible calls our life a race. Let us run the race. And it doesn't just call it a race, it calls it an endurance race. What the Bible is saying is your life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. But a lot of us, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I can speak to myself, a lot of us rush about, we hurry, we worry, we're distracted, 
we move really fast. We try to do everything that we can, and we try to do it at once, and we're moving too quickly. And what happens is when you move too quickly, you bonk. You hit the wall. You start to burn out. And when you burn out, you start to lose touch with God. You start to lose touch with your own soul. You start to lose touch with the people around you. I cannot tell you how many, and this is especially important for students, for millennials, for people who are uh, young families, for people who are early, mid-career. A lot of times, what we do is we get in a rush. We get in a in a hurry, and we start losing out on the things that are truly, really, deeply important in life. In fact, it's one of the biggest questions that I get asked by younger people is like, how do I make, how do I make this work? How do I make it work with all of my commitments and all of my obligations? How do I make this work so that I don't just blow up my life? In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, an author named John Mark Comer points out what he calls 10 symptoms, 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. He says we all have hurry sickness. Many of us have hurry sickness. Let me give you the symptoms. See if you can find yourself in here. Number one, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. If that's the person next to you, just, just, just say amen quietly, silently, and you'll say amen. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is like a minor comment from somebody. One, one kind of crummy email, and it just messes up your day. You just get all twisted out of shape. Number three, restlessness. When you actually try to relax, when you try to rest, you can't. Number four, workaholism or nonstop activity. You just, you just can't stop yourself. You just keep running. You keep rushing. Number five, emotional numbness. You can't feel other people's pain. You know it's there. You want to be empathetic, but you're just too busy to feel their pain. Number, uh, number six, out-of-order priorities. Things are out of order in your life. You're, you're focusing on things that aren't important, important, and you're letting the things that are truly important drop. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Rest, exercise, healthy food. You're just not taking care of yourself. Number eight, escapist behavior. Listen to this. When we're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice. Comer says, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn, name your preferred cultural narcotic. We, we, we just, we, we inebriate ourselves, escapist behavior. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. When you get over busy, if you notice, the first things that go are the things that are most important. I don't have time to read the Bible I don't have time to pray today. I don't have time to spend a Sabbath. I don't have time to simplify my life. I don't have time to be present with the people I love. I've got too much to do. Number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God and others in your own soul. I think if, if you're honest, if we're honest, this, this reflects many of my own experiences and probably re reflects some of yours. You don't have to volunteer today, but I'm just, my intuition is that many of you are experiencing some of those symptoms. Another author put it like this. He said, for many of us, the great danger, spiritual danger, is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we'll, we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And then he says this, hurry is the great enemy of the soul. Hurry is the great enemy of the soul. So, how do we, if we want to have a rich, deep relationship with God, a deep 
reflective understanding of our own self and real meaningful relationships with others, how do we slow things down so that we can experience this? Well, let me go back to the verse that I started with, Hebrews 12. Remember what it says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then it says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What does that mean, looking unto Jesus? What that means is if we're followers of Jesus, we need to look at his pace. If we're followers of Jesus, we need to look at his rhythms. What was his daily practice? What was his weekly routine? What kind of, was he in a hurry? Was he rushed? What did he do with his life? To be a disciple of Jesus means three things. It means, number one, that we are educated by Jesus. So we read his words and we learn what he says. Number two, we're associated with Jesus. People go, oh, you're one of his. You belong to him. You're one of his disciples. But number three, we are imitators of Jesus. And this is the one that I think we miss. Because you look at Jesus' rhythm, you look at Jesus' pace, you look at what Jesus does with his life on a day-to-day basis, and you go, man, I don't know if I'm doing it like him. So what we're going to do is we're going to look unto Jesus with the goal, collectively, as a church family, of getting our rhythms and our pace aligned with him. If you are rushing out in front of Jesus, you're out of sync with his pace. And we need to check our pace so that we're aligned with the rhythms of Jesus. What I want to do today is I want to show you a a, a moment in Jesus's life where people were rushing out of sync with his rhythm, out of sync with his pace. And I want to show you the way he brought things into his rhythm, his pace. He was not in a hurry. He was not in a rush. Let's start with this story in Mark chapter 5. It says this, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. This always happened to him. People pressed in on him. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now I want you to notice four things. Number one, this is a synagogue leader. Here we are 2,000 years later. We know his name. His name is Jairus. He was a very important, prominent person in the community. Number two, he was desperate. Scripture says he fell down on on his knees. He fell down before Jesus on his face, pleading. But you don't do that as a synagogue leader. You're too dignified unless you're desperate. He's a desperate person. Number three, he had faith. He wasn't somebody full of cynicism and doubt. He believed that if Jesus would put his hand on his daughter, that she would be healed. And number four, this is an emergency. He didn't say, my daughter is sick. He said, my daughter is dying. Like, she's dying. I need you to come immediately. So Jesus, as we would expect, under this rushed emergency circumstance, does what we would expect him to do. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. So now a whole crowd is moving in this direction. And we're all doing what what Jesus normally would do and what we think he should do. But then the story takes this strange, unexpected turn. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, And a woman was there in this crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care, care of many doctors. She had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. Didn't get his attention. She came up behind him in the crowd and just touched his cloak. Because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So notice what is happening. There's an emergency situation. A child is dying. Jesus is going there. The whole crowd is pressing. A woman that doesn't want to 
disturb anybody. He just comes and just touches the tip of the back of his cloth, clothing. Immediately, the scripture says, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? He just stopped the train and said, who touched me? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples. And like, what are you talking about? He turned around in the crowd. Oh, and you, you see the people crowding against you, the disciples said, and yet you can ask who touched me? Like his disciples even are like, what are you talking about? There's, everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching you. We're all moving. We've got an emergency. Let's go. Verse 32. But Jesus just kept looking around to see who had done it. So let's pause and take a moment here. What in the world? We've got a little girl who's dying. Jesus is on the path. He's on the move. He's in a rush. Everybody's going, right? He should be in a rush. But somebody just comes up and barely touches the back of his clothes. And let me just say this. This woman had been suffering for 12 years. She had been somebody in, in, in terrible agony. She had been socially pariah for 12 years. She had been ceremonially unclean for 12 years. She had run out of money. She had been all kinds of suffering at the hands of doctors. And she did not even want to disturb Jesus. In fact, I'll get into this in a minute, but she didn't even want it to be known that she touched him. She's not allowed to touch a man ceremonially unclean, much less a rabbi. So, so she didn't even want to cause a bother. And notice this. Without any, without any stopping from Jesus, she's healed. Like the miracle's already done. So Jesus could have just kept on walking. He, he didn't even need to notice that anything had happened. He didn't even need, he definitely didn't need to stop and be like, hey, 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 what, what, what's going on? Who touched me? He could have just kept moving because the miracle was done. But Jesus stops. When everybody is hurrying, Jesus slows it down. Now you might think, okay, well, this is just a one-off, some weird moment where he's just kind of a glitch in the matrix. And he was just like, eh, eh, no, right? But let me show you this. Because when you look at Jesus, he does the same thing over and over and over again. He keeps putting things on pause when everybody else is rushing. Let, let me show you two examples. Uh, a couple chapters earlier, I, one chapter earlier, when he's with his disciples, they're in a storm, they're in the Sea of Galilee. The scripture says this, a furious squall, a storm comes up. The waves break over the boat. The boat is nearly swamped. This is a mayday, mayday 911 call. This is, the boat is, it's 150 feet to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. We're all dead. We're all going to drown. Surely Jesus is plugging holes. Surely he's manning the oar. Surely he's bailing the water out, right? Next verse. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The cushion detail always throws me off. Like, he's got his favorite pillow. He's got his sleep mask. He's got his weighted blanket. He's got his noise-canceling headphones. Everybody's freaking out. The boat's going down, and he's asleep. The disciples said what I would say. Disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you even care if we drown? But everybody's rushing. It's, a, it's an emergency, and Jesus is keeping things slow. Let me give you one more example. Um, two of his best friends come to him, send word to him. Th these are some of his closest people, Mary and Martha. They come to him, and they send word. They say this, the sisters, Mary and Martha, verse uh, 3 of chapter, John, uh, chap chapter 11, John. The sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. They're saying, Jesus, we need you right now. We need you to come down here right now. Lazarus is sick. Now notice, these are the sisters that like, one of the sisters washed Jesus' feet with their head. This, these are, this is, this is their family. These are family. This isn't like somebody way off. These are people that are close to Jesus. 
And then in the most confusing scripture in the Bible, it says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I mean, what is going on with Jesus? <laughs> when things are an emergency, when you need to hurry up, he just kind of pumps the brakes. He slows down. What is he doing? He, this happens over and over in the scripture. Why does he, what is he showing us? What is he trying to teach us? What is he doing in these moments? What is, Je what is Jesus's, why is Jesus's pace different from ours? Let's look back at, at the story with the woman and the little girl. Let's look back at verse 30. It says this. At once Jesus realized when the woman touched him that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? If, you, if, if you're taking notes, just write this down. The pace of Jesus invites you to be truly present with God, yourself, and others. The pace of Jesus invites you to be truly present with God, yourself, and others. Truly present. How many of you know there's a difference between somebody who's physically present with you, but not like, not like, not emotionally available, and somebody who's like all there, who's really with you. They're listening, they're available, they're present right? So the, the person that's just physically present, they can be on their phone, they can be thinking of other things, they're distracted, there's a bunch of other stuff going on. But you know when somebody is like all there, and they're just there, and they're present with you. You know what I mean? I'll give you a funny example, a funny example, just to keep this light. Years ago, I was in the Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. I was like in my 20s, I was, I was, I was at the Tower Records, and this guy comes in, and he's got like beat up jeans and boots, and like a, um, you know, kind of a beat-up shirt. He's got long red hair in braids, you know, two braids. He's got like a bandana on, scruffy white beard, you know, and I recognized him immediately. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'll give you a hint. On the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. Willie Nelson came walking into the Tower Grove Records on Sunset Boulevard, I promise you. Comes walking in. He's got a couple members of his band. And they go up on a little stage, and they just start playing music. He's got a guitar. He's got a hole in it. The guy has a harmonica. They're just in there playing music. And I'm, I just happen to be there, and we're all just standing there like, oh, man, this is amazing. Willie Nelson right here playing at the Tower Records. It's a small, it's a small record store. And so, of course, within minutes, people are packing. People are, you know, packing in because the word got out. People were, I was going to say people are texting each other, but no, we're beeping each other back in the day. Beep, 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 you know. You can spell Willie in letters. I don't know. Anyway. People are showing up at the Tower Records, and, and it just gets packed out. After the performance, he, he sang for like an hour. Um, he sat up at a table, and he said, um, you know, I'm happy to meet everybody. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to meet Willie Nelson. Never met him. I'm going to go meet him. So I go up to meet Willie Nelson. First of all, he signed my boots. I have a picture. I have proof that this actually happened. There's Willie signing my boots. I still have those boots. You can't see the signature anymore, but anyway. Okay, you can take that down. But here's what was crazy. Here's what was crazy about Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson, I'm standing there. He goes, hi, how you doing? I go, he goes, what's your name? I go, my name's Brent. He goes, well, it's nice to meet you, Brent. Um, so what's, what's going on with you? And I was like, uh, well, I mean, I mean, I'm just hanging out at the Tower Records. I mean, like with my life or what are you, where are we going with this, Willie? <laughs> you know? And I'm just telling you, this was what was striking him most about this moment. He just talking to me. There's like 100 people behind me waiting to talk to Willie Nelson. And he's like, there's nothing else in the world that he wants to do right now except talk to me. And literally, I'm telling you the truth, it got to a point where I was like, well, I should probably get going because 
not that I have anything to do, but like you have stuff to do. Like you, there's a lot of people. So I literally excused myself from the conversation. And he was like, okay then, have a great day. And I was like, what is going on with this guy, right? Now listen, I know what you're thinking. And he probably did have a little herbal assistance on this interaction. And that's not recommended. But what was amazing, what was amazing, let's bring it back in, is how present he was. If we can do that without, with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. We have to learn to stop and be present. Because when we're present, then we understand what God is doing. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with ourselves. Notice that Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. Do you, know how, do you know how self-aware you have to be in that moment? To be pressed on every side by human beings. You're in a hurry. You're on your way to, kill, to, to save somebody who's dying. And, and you're like, oh, I just felt something happen in my spirit. And I'm going to stop and see what that's all about. Right? I read an interview recently. Mike Tyson, one of the greatest fighters in history. He got the, he got the, he got the first belt at the age of 20. Youngest person to ever get the belt at, at, at that age. And... Uh, you know, was making millions, was on the rise way back, way back in the day. I saw an interview with him recently, and this is what he said. It, it struck me. He said, the best three years of my life were the three years that I was in prison. He ended up in prison for three years. And then he said, because my life was moving too fast, and I needed to stop. I was out of touch with myself. I was out of touch with other people. I was out of touch with my own soul. I was out of touch spiritually, and I needed to stop, and I needed to hold still for a minute. Sometimes we just need to stop. We need to slow it down. And get in touch with God. We need to, you, you can't both be in a hurry and be in a deep, intimate relationship with God at the same time. You, you have to slow things down. I'll give you one more quick example. There's a pastor that I read about down in Texas who was pastoring one of the fastest growing churches in America. But he was not present. Not present with himself. Not present with God. Not present with his family. And he just made a series of ridiculously stupid decisions and he just blew up his life blew up his family the church everything just wrecked his completely wrecked his life and in an interview later years later he said i was moving too fast i wasn't aware of what was going on in my own soul i wasn't aware of what was going on in my relationships i wasn't aware of what was going on with me and god let me just tell you this folks jesus wanted things to be at a pace where you are not so busy that you're skimming across the surface of your spiritual life, skimming across the surface of your relationships with your friends and family, skimming across the surface of your relationship with your own self. He wants us to get on his pace. He wants us to get synced up with his pace. Because here's why. Here's why. When I finish my race, I, 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 don't, I, I want to be able to say at the end of my race, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. It's an endurance race, and the only way to do that is to follow the pace of Jesus. I'm going to give you four ways to do that real quick. Number one, spend time every day in silence with the Lord. One hour a day, either in reading the word, prayer, one hour a day. Now, some of you say, I don't have an hour a day. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Look at your screen time on your phone. <laughs> You can actually look at that number and then tell me you don't have an hour for the Lord. Woo! Number two, thank you. Number two, start single-tasking. Single-tasking. You know what that means? That means don't answer emails and make breakfast for your children at the same time. The eggs are going to burn. The kids are going to be crying. The email's not going to be good. There'll be grammatical errors. You'll probably make mistakes. Do one thing at a time. 
Let's just practice this one thing at a time. Single tasking. Number three, treat your phone like a stapler. We say, what? Put it in the closet. Put it in the closet. I have a cabinet. Of, I, have a, I have a, it's actually my, my, my stapler drawer. It's my stapler. I have a three hole punch of a stapler, and that's where my phone is right now, turned off. Treat it like a stapler. In other words, you use it, don't let it use you. Because the phone is designed to use you. It's designed to grab your attention so that your attention can be sold to advertisers. I'm just telling you, this, it's just, that's just algorithm. That's just, it is what it is. Treat your phone like a stapler. You get it out when you need it, and then you put it back in the drawer. All right. That's not going down so well. I'll preach again on that next week. <laughs> Number four, cook a meal, sit down, eat with your family or friends. No phones, no screens. We had some friends, oh, we had some friends uh, over at the house the other day, and they said, how do you keep your kids off the screens at the dinner table? I was like, well, it's easy. First of all, we're bigger than them. And um, so we just say no screens. And if they have screens, then we just take the screens. And then that's the end of that story. And so you can do that. But take a moment to be present. Take a moment to be present. Okay, let's move ahead with the story. Mark 5.32. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter... Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Take this note down real quick. The pace of Jesus increases your compassion and expands your empathy. She was already healed. He didn't need to stop and talk to her. But she was probably also feeling ashamed at having even touched the hem of a rabbi's garment because she wasn't supposed to do that. That was ceremonially unclean. For 12 years, she had been pariah, socially ostracized. And Jesus wanted her to know, hey, you're totally healed. I want you to have absolute peace. I want you to know that everything is okay. You are good to go. You're fully healed, and you're emotionally, spiritually, physically healed. You are all good. He took a moment to show compassion to this woman. He had already healed her, but he wanted to show empathy and compassion. Let me challenge you with this. Maybe today, instead of doom scrolling, instead of, uh, you know, uh, getting on social media, take Take an hour to get a hold of somebody, connect with somebody who might need you, somebody who might need to hear from you. Sit down with them, have a cup of coffee, have a meal, pause, and have some, open your heart, open your life to somebody because the pace of Jesus increases our capacity for empathy and compassion. Let's get on his pace. Okay, now I'm going to end the story because it takes this weird turn. Verse 35, verse 36. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Notice this. The daughter is dead while Jesus is hanging around talking to to this woman. Why bother the teacher anymore? Imagine this if you're Jairus. If you're Jairus, you're saying, hey, your rhythm was off, Jesus. Your pace was off because my daughter was dying and you stopped to talk to this person and certainly her disease is bad but it's a chronic illness it's not a it's not an immediate death type situation and you missed out because my daughter died so your rhythm rabbi is off it's off it's wrong overhearing what they said Jesus told him don't be afraid just believe when they came to the home of the synagogue leader Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, the child's asleep. But they laughed at him. 
after he put them all out, sometimes you've got to put those noises out. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. This is the last point. I'm going to finish with this. The pace of Jesus leaves room for God to do the truly miraculous. The pace of Jesus leaves room for God to do the truly miraculous. Jesus could have rushed to prevent the storm on the Sea of Galilee, but he wanted his disciples to know that God is with you in the midst of the storm. I'm going to go ahead and let the storm happen so that you can know that God is with you in the midst of the storm. Jesus could have, could have rushed to the side of Lazarus. He could have rushed to Lazarus' side to prevent Lazarus from dying. But Jesus wanted his disciples to know something greater. He wanted them to know, he wanted his disciples to know that he was the resurrection and the life. He wanted them to know something greater about God. Jesus could have rushed to the side of Jairus' daughter. He could have ran down there, prevented her from dying, but he wanted his disciples, his followers, to know that to God, death is just sleeping. Jesus wants to, to, to let you know that he is there and capable and available of works and, and miraculous wonders that you could never even imagine. And when Jesus moves at his pace, you're going to experience, and you let Jesus move in your life at his pace, you're going to experience the absolutely miraculous in your life. You're going to see things happen in your life that you could have never constructed on your own, that you could have never made happen with your own speed. I know this from my own life, and I'll tell you, I mean, this is, and this sermon is for me, okay? Because I like to get things done, and I like things to move at a quick pace. But, but after 12 years of being a church planner, I have learned that when it's my time, when it's my pace, when it's my rhythm, it doesn't work out. And every single time God says, hey, could you just step out of the way, slow down, let me do this, because I'm going to do something way better than you thought or imagined. If you just chill out for a second, just step aside, let me show you how to. So here's what I want to challenge us to do as a church community over this summer. I want us to be still and know that he is God. I want, to, I want us to remember that they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. I want us to remember that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadows of the Almighty. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who are running around like Chickens with your heads cut off. All of you who are freaking out, you're, you're answering emails and pings and texts and tweeting and, and everything is going crazy on your life. He says, let me give you some rest. I'm going to end with this, for real. We got time. Two minutes. The, the, the researchers who studied the marathon runners, this is really fascinating. What they found is that 65%, over 65% of first-time marathon runners go out too fast. Over 65%, if it's your first rodeo, you're going to run out too fast. 65%, over. Second rodeo, second marathon, only 20% run too fast in the first leg of the race. By the third and the fourth marathon, this is what they found. Nobody runs too fast. You figured out the pace. What that says is, if you're still alive today, you can make some adjustments. 
you can make some adjustments to your race. You can change your pace. You can align your pace with Jesus. What I want to pray that we do over the next several weeks as we're launching into the summer, I want to pray that as a church community, we would start to spend some time in silence and solitude. Silence and solitude with the scripture. We would give ourselves some Sabbath rest. We would take some days and just relax. We would turn the phone off. We would treat it like a stapler. It would be a three-hole punch to us. We don't get it out unless we need it, and then we put it away. We would simplify our lives by eliminating some of the stuff that doesn't bring life, that doesn't bring joy, so that we have more time with God, more time with those we love, more time with our own soul. I want to ask you a question, and we're going to end with this. What if we did what the writer of Hebrews told us to do? What if we decided, beginning today, we're going to run our race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? What if we looked at him and checked our pace? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you. We love you so much. We thank you for teaching us your rhythms, your way, your path. We thank you, Lord God, that you lead us and guide us. We thank you, Lord God, that you are there in every situation. That we don't have to try to make the world spin on our own. That it's all in your hands that you've got it under control. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you can do the miraculous when we wait on you. We thank you that we are called, Lord God, to just abide under the shadow of your wing. We thank you, Lord God, that you will give us rest. Father, I pray for each and every person here today that they would be nourished, that they would be strengthened, and that they would receive divine rest from you. I pray, Lord God, that we would be fortified as your children to run the race with endurance, looking only unto you. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.